Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, hopefully you do, turn with me to First uh, Peter. That's what we're going to be. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to be start and end in First Peter. Go all the way to the right. Get to Revelation, you went too far. First Peter 2 is where we're going to be, uh, right after the book of James. Uh, so this is the last uh, message in a series I'm doing on identity. Uh, so who we are what we're about, what is our purpose, what is meaning. Um, and it's not the last message in the series because it's the last thing that uh, needs to be said. It's just the last thing because we're moving on to something else. But we'll come back to it because we always do. Because identity is, is such a crucial part of, of an understanding of a walk uh, with Jesus. And, and uh, if we don't understand who we are, um, we're going to have a hard time allowing God to use us in any kind of way. And so I just want to recap that um, going into it, and then I want to share this morning out of, out of 1 Peter 2, and um, at, we, my core group got to meet on Thursday night, and it was, I have, I, I don't mean to brag, but I, ha- I have the best core group. Um, I think, I think I do. Um, I, I definitely have the best core group that I'm in. Uh, um, and uh, I was chatting with somebody at the end of the core group, and she was asking me, uh, you know, what I was going to talk about, and I was, I was like, man, it's such a, it's such a deep and, and, and rich topic, and, and uh, it was not a normal week and for me, and, and uh, I just found myself going from one place to another to another in the scriptures, and, and I, was, I was like, man, there's so much to say, and, and she said to me, she's like, well, I think it would be fine if you, if you talked a little bit longer than normal, if that's what God led you to do. So I'm just letting you know that she said I could do it, and uh, if that's what happens, uh, you can blame Anna for that. Um, so thank you, Anna, for, for uh, giving me permission. But uh, week one, we talked about that we are created in the image of God, and that we were made for a purpose. Okay? Back to Genesis 1. If we don't get that, then really nothing else will make sense even in light of, of who Jesus was and G- what Jesus did for us, because the, that fulfills that purpose from Genesis 1, and that was week one. Week two, we talked about that we are literally being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is the Father's desire for us as followers of Jesus. That's the game plan. He wants us to be like Jesus, and that is happening to us without us doing anything, and, that's, and also we are partnering in that journey together. So both those things are happening simultaneously, and both are, are, are vital and important. Uh, the third one, we talked about the fact that, that we are dead to sin and a life in Christ. And so as believers, sin is no longer our major issue. It's this transformation process that we are going through and walking through, because Jesus took care of the sin part. And so we don't define ourselves as sinners any longer. That's not our main Main title, our main title is child of God. So we need to embrace that title and live out of that title. Um, and then finally, last week I talked about the fact that, that we, we are filled with the Spirit of God. We have the very presence of God that lives in us. That's what directs us, that's what guides us, that's what prompts us, that's what moves us, that's what gives us um, 
helps us understand who we are and helps us understand God's word and speaks to us. And that's absolutely essential and crucial. Uh, we, we will not accomplish anything worthwhile in this world unless the Spirit of God is leading us into those things. And, it looks, and that looks like many different things. And I would encourage you, if, if you weren't around, to, you can listen to these old messages. You can, you can look at them online um, or listen to them on, as a podcast and catch up to, to what we talked about. But this morning, we're going to talk about what, what Peter says. So out of 1 Peter uh, 2, this is, this is the Peter, like the Peter, the, the dude that walked on water, the guy that hung out with Jesus. This is the guy that um, stuck his foot in his mouth constantly, and we're grateful for that because we learned a lot from Peter's questions and Peter getting it wrong. But he walked with Jesus. And then he's, he's the Peter that when the church was born, and in the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God d- fell on them, and the power of God came upon them, he stepped out in faith and he spoke to the masses of people that showed up. And 3,000 that day were saved. And that was the beginning of something great. And that Peter led the church. And he moved things forward. And so the gospel did exactly what Jesus said that it should do. It started in Jerusalem. And it went to Samaria. And then went to the uttermost part of the earth. And so Peter is writing to a group of Christians, of followers of Jesus, who are living in Asia Minor, primarily. And so they're farther away from the source than anybody else is when he's writing to them. And he begins to use language that is very accustomed to the culture of the Jewish people, that any of the Jewish people would hear and understand right away. But these people, these Gentiles in Asia Minor, they wouldn't have gotten this. And so he has to slow down and almost like baby step them into this understanding of the bigger picture of who they are as followers of Jesus. And so that's, that's what he does. So 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's one verse in 1 Peter 2. I mean, if you've not spent any time in 1 and 2 Peter, I would encourage you to do that. It's jam-packed with just beautiful writings that Peter's heart's desire is coming out. He's trying to, to get the, the people of God to understand who they truly are. And that's where we're going to end this series. That's where we're going to end this series on identity is, is my heart's desire. And I think the, the desire of the Lord is, is that you would understand who you really are. Because once you do that, the world will belong to God. Once the people of God begin to step into their true identity of who they are, there will be nothing that will stop the kingdom of God being advanced. And even if just this room of people began to understand who they truly were, you would take the world for Christ. Twelve men and women transformed the world. We're a lot more than that in here. But we need to understand who we are. We need to begin to see the truth of who we are and then live into that truth. So where does Peter get these kind of audacious statements like chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession? Those are actually quotes from the Old Testament. So it takes us backwards. So we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, God creates intentionally. This is where we started with the the identity series was, was in Genesis 1. And in this place, he creates the human beings. He creates Adam and Eve. 
And these human beings represent all of humanity. They're not just two individual people, but they're representations of, of all of humanity that would come forward. Okay? And from that place, they had a purpose and a, and a job description, actually. See, Eden was this sacred place. And in that place, they were told to do a job, to function in that job. And that's what they did. So, but what, here's what's fascinating, and that we often lose, lose track of it, and, and uh, we don't pick up on right away. See, the writer of Genesis begins with the fundamental building blocks of storytelling. See, in ancient Mesopotamia, which would be the, the, the background to which the, the Hebrew people would be reading the scriptures, temples were built in six days. Right? That, that's the storyline. Now, we know that it weren't six literal days. Hint, hint. But six was, was what the tradition was. And so, when, when the writer of Genesis begins to, to write about how God created in six days, the Hebrew people would have been like, wait a minute, I know what God's doing here. God's building a temple. Because temples are built in six days. And that's exactly what's happening here. That's what's going on. Okay? But what is a temple? A temple is a place where God's presence is. God's presence dwells. We know temples later on when they were constructed and built by human beings. And, and they come into these places, and, and not just for, for Yahweh, but, but other gods. Uh, people built other temples for other gods. And they'd come to experience those gods. They, they'd, they'd come to uh, worship those gods. They'd come to sacrifice to those gods. But in Genesis 1, what is happening here is that God is building his temple on earth. As earth. And so the writers, or the readers of Genesis 1 would, would have read that and would have said, well, God's building his temple. Well, what is his temple? His temple is the earth. And so the presence of God is what would dwell there. Okay? And then later he, he uses this word in Genesis 2.15. He, he talks about working and keeping. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it or keep it. To you and I, that would sound like gardening terms. But to an Israelite, they would immediately recognize that that is, is priestly language. Listen to Numbers 3, 7 and 8. They are to perform duties. So these are the descriptions of the priests. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care or keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. So what is the writer trying to tell us? Well, the writer's trying to tell us that Adam and Eve weren't gardeners, they were priests. They were the first priests of the first temple, which was the world. And their job was to work and to keep and to care for. And that's what they did. Until they didn't. And it fell apart. But the early rabbis would look at Adam as the intended, as, a, as the priest who tended to the creation of God in God's cosmic temple. And these instructions for building the tabernacle in Leviticus 3 would actually parallel the language for the crea creation of the world, revealing temple languages. And I have a whole section of this, but that would 
be like an hour and a half message if we were to go through all those things. But literally, I can show to you this at, at some point, not today. But if you trace Leviticus 3 and Genesis chapter 1, creation order day 1 mimics temple building day 1. Creation order day 2 mimics temple building day 2 and, and on and on through the six days. It's unbelievable. And so again, what God was trying to show to humanity is that the game plan was that the earth would be the temple of God and the people who dwelled there would be the priests. That was the original plan. That was set forth in the garden with Adam and Eve. And to all of Israel or any Hebrew who would read the Genesis story, that's what they would pick up and get. We don't get that because we're Americans and we're Westerners. But in the, in the Eastern mind, in the Hebrew mind, that's exactly what they would have saw, seen. And so I, I, want to, I want you to keep that in mind as we move forward. So we move forward. We're, we're, we're exited out of the garden. The first human beings are, are, are removed because of choices they made when sin entered in. But later on, it's always God's desire that this, this idea of the temple and the priests would continue on. And so we move forward into Abraham, and, and there's a whole thing on Melchizedek, and Tim will fill you in on that part. Um, but that's a whole other message in itself. But eventually we get to Moses. So the people of God <clears throat> were enslaved in Egypt. And God brought them out through this man named Moses who led them. And he brought them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses meets with God. And God says something to Moses in, in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. He says, go down and tell the people this. See if this sounds familiar to you. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So literally up on the mountain, God has this communion and connection with, with Moses. The original intent was actually that all of the people would commune with God, but the people out of their own fear backed away and said, no, Moses, you go ahead and do that. And unfortunately, so Moses takes the place of Israel and becomes the single individual that, that stands before God on behalf of Israel. But it wasn't God, that wasn't God's intent. God's intent was that all the people would stand with him and have a relationship with him in that intimate way. But up on the mountain, God communicates with Moses and he teaches him all kinds of things about what he wants to see accomplished. And in that is an understanding of, of who the priest was, was, the idea of a priesthood that would be created. And this would be created through Moses' brother Aaron. And through the line of Aaron come the priests of Israel and would serve indefinitely <clears throat> with some hiccups in between with some of the kings and the separation of yada yada but the, the intent was there but here's here's the irony and the, and the sad part of of this first priest see when Moses is up on the mountain what does this first high priest of Israel do he breaks the first two commandments love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and there should be no other gods before me Right? Well, while Moses is up on the hillside, what's Aaron doing? He's fashioning a golden calf so that people can come together and worship. And it's, it's literally one of the most ridiculous stories in all of the scriptures because Moses comes down and he he's, looks at Aaron and he's like, what did you do? And he goes, I don't know. I just threw the gold in this pot and out popped this golden calf. Like, talk about, you know, skirting responsibility. Um, but that's what happened. And, and so literally, the priest... The holy 
high priest blew it on day one. And this holy chosen people literally had an adulterous affair with God, this bride, when they worshiped the golden calf. And so we're not starting things out very well in regards to this temple of God and this priesthood of God, okay? It's a, it's a tough space. But also while he's up there, he, God gives instructions to build a tabernacle, which would later become the temple. Same outline, same purpose. But he says, in this tabernacle, which was a tent, you're to do it in a specific way. And I have an image I want to show you here of the tabernacle. Okay? On the outside, there was, there's concentric circles or, or squares for, for this image. And each, each time you, you entered in closer and closer, it got more and more intense and more intentional. So the land of Israel, Jerusalem outside, the courtyard as you enter in to the tabernacle, then you have the holy place where the priests are, and then inside all of that, buried within, is the holy of holies, which the presence of God dwelled in that place. And whenever they moved, God would move with them. They'd disassemble the tabernacle, they would walk a certain distance, they would reassemble the tabernacle, and it would be game on. And God would move with them as a pillar of fire or, or by night or smoke by day. And so God showed his presence to his people and that presence dwelled or sat over the holy of holies. And they knew that God was with us when that was there. Okay? Let me show you another diagram of the Garden of Eden. We have dry land on the outside. Then we have the land of Eden, the garden itself. And inside, the centermost part is the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. The temple or the tabernacle is a direct correlation to the Garden of Eden. They, will, they were built to mimic one another. Why? Because Eden was God's cosmic temple for the world. And so the tabernacle was kind of a second off of that. But that points us back to the intention that all along the desire was that, that, that the earth would be God's temple and it would be filled with God's priests and they would represent God to the world. And they would have an understanding of who that was. And we see that at the end, where he says in Exodus 19.6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Well, what does a priest do? He tends to the temple. He tends to his relationship with God. He worships God himself, but also he creates a space and an environment and invites people on the outside to come in to experience God. Does that make sense? We need to get this. So again, the priest has his own relationship and connection with the Lord in which he worships and partakes and all those things. But one of his primary roles is to then bring others into that space of worship so they can experience God too. So it's both and. Tending to your own soul, tending to others, and allowing them to experience God. But here's the difference. We see in that, that original, uh, those original words in, in Peter where he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Well, where does this idea of a royal priesthood come from? Because that wasn't in Exodus. But Peter adds this. Not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood. Why is that important? Why does that matter? Why did... Peter used this expression. This is the only place in all the scriptures where this shows up, this, this idea of a royal priesthood. Let me show you some things. 
In between Moses and eventually Jesus was another man named David. And David was a king of Israel. He was the second king. The scriptures tell us that he was a king after God's own heart, which means there's something special and unique about David. And God made a promise to David that his descendants would sit on the throne forever, which is a pretty lofty promise. And again, throughout history, we have some hiccups there, but God was faithful in that. The descendants of David continued to sit on the throne. But at one point, God would say, there will be a point where forever and ever and ever, someone from your line will be a king, and that king will sit on the throne forever. An unbroken reign of a king, per se, is what what God was trying to say to his people. And there was something about David that was just, had the heart of God. And God loved David, even in, in his flaws and his mistakes. And he made that promise to him. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I figure since this is December and the holiday season, we should have at least one, you know, Christmassy type verse. So here it is. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. So in the beginning, Matthew is trying to tell us that Jesus is connected to the line of David. That he comes from that kingly line. And there was something absolutely fabulous about David, and that was this. David is the one who brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He's one that established Jerusalem. He's also the one who united the kingdoms together. Okay, the kingdoms weren't united when David took over, and, and Saul had not united all the kingdoms, all the tribes together. David did that. He united all the tribes. And he brings the, the tent of meeting outside of Jerusalem, because there's some, some challenges with bringing the ark in. But at various points in the scriptures, and this is actually mind-blowing, David goes into this tent and he meets with God one-on-one. This is a major no-no. Because only the priest was supposed to be the one that went in there. But David, with his passion and his heart for God, broke the rules and he went in. And anybody who was, who was to do that was supposed to, it was co- to cost them their life because they were defiling what God had asked. But for some reason, David got away with it. And so in those moments, again, this is a cultural thing. If you're reading that, if you're reading the fact that, that King David can go into the Holy of Holies, not die, and come back out, The only logical explanation is David has to also be then a priest. And so David was this king, but he was also a priest. So he was a royal priesthood. And then we see again in in Matthew 15, 22, a Canaanite woman, not even a Jewish woman, a Canaanite woman, comes to see Jesus, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Somehow, the Lord... God, the Holy Spirit, had revealed to this woman the true identity of who Jesus was. And she called to him as the son of David. Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, does this too. Because they had been told that the Messiah would come from the line of David. So essentially what she is saying here is that he, she's saying, Messiah, Savior of Israel, would you heal my daughter? That's exactly what, the, what Matthew is writing in the genealogy, that, that who Jesus is, is the Messiah, in fact. That's what Bartimaeus says, too. Basically, Messiah, heal me, because the Messiah would come with healing in his wings. 
And we see at the end of, of the book of Revelation 5.5, it says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So from Matthew, actually from the prophets, all the way to the book of Revelation, the Messiah is proclaimed to be from the, from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. And that's what Jesus is. Now here's where it gets interesting. Prior to Jesus, in the line of priests, there were no kings. That wasn't the point. And also the line of priests were tainted because of the sin of Aaron that went on and on. But because of Jesus, a new priest emerged out of a different line, actually, from Aaron's. And he would be a kingly priest because he was both king and priest. And Paul in Romans 6 says to us as followers of Jesus that in his death and his resurrection and in our belief and in our baptism, we are connected to Jesus. And so therefore, through that process, we also are in the line of the kingly priests. And this is why Peter can say what he said, that you are a royal priesthood. Because in Jesus, a new humanity is formed. And Paul tells us this in Ephesians 2.15. And we looked at this verse in, in prior weeks. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So out of this new humanity of believers, not tied to Aaron, not tied to anything of the past, and not tied to, to Adam anymore through sin, comes this new humanity through Christ, this kingly priest. And through Christ, something new is born and created. And Paul picks up on this several places, but in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves, as God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? So the same theme that, that Peter was talking about, Paul talks about in several different places. This is just one of them. But he says, don't you know that this is true? Don't you know that this is who you are? And so we're back to 1 Peter 2. And we're looking at the verse that Patrick looked at with the kids in verse 4. He says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Living stones. This is the verse leading up to verse 9, where he talks about the royal priesthood, the chosen people, God's special group of people. And in this moment, in this time frame, what, what essentially that Peter is doing is he's talking about these images of stones and building. And if you've built something, you know that the crucial aspect of building something is the cornerstone. It's the first main thing that's laid, and upon that thing, everything else is built around it. And so if that cornerstone that is built is not straight, if it's crooked, guess what's going to happen to the rest of the building? The rest of the building is going to be crooked. But if that cornerstone is straight and set, that's why they spent so much time setting it and choosing it. Back in that day, it had to be the correct firmness and size. And they waited for as long as it took to find that cornerstone. And once they found it, they knew they could build the rest of the building on it. 
We take that analogy and we go back to Aaron. Was Aaron the perfect cornerstone for the priesthood? No. But Jesus was. And so they set Jesus as the cornerstone. And then you, you begin to build all the rest of the stones around it. And what does Peter say? He says that you, as believers in Christ, are like little stones that are built around the cornerstone. That's what we are. But we have a cornerstone and we have stones. Well, what is Peter talking about when he says that you're also a royal priest? So what building is being built? What's the only logical thing that he could be talking about? The temple. Because later from the tabernacle of tents, they moved into the city and Solomon built the temple. This glorious and wonderful thing. And that's what he's referring to. Back to 1 Peter 2.9 to kind of bring all these things together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I want you to hear this. You are chosen. Each and every one of you. You are seen as holy. Again, sin is no longer the issue. Jesus took care of that. You are God's special possession. And you are a royal priesthood. Not a priesthood, a royal priesthood. Because you're in the line of Jesus as a part of the new creation that's been built. So what does that mean? Because essentially what, Paul is, or what Peter is saying to us here is that you are the temple and you are the priest. Well, what does the priest do? The priest takes care of the temple, cultivates the temple, makes sure everything is right in the temple, pays close attention to that temple, but he also carries and cultivates his own relationship with God. And then he creates that space or opens that space in that temple to usher people in to experience God. And what is the temple? The temple is the place where people come to worship and to experience God, to experience forgiveness of sin, to experience healing. Whatever God desires to do, that's the place where people came to have that experience. And what does Paul say about us? That the very presence of God lives in us. That's how we can be the temple and the priest at the same time. So every place you go, every ground that you take, the temple and the priests of God are dwelling in that place. I believe, prophetically, there's a reason that the temple in Jerusalem was overtaken and has not been rebuilt. Because it's God's desire that people wouldn't go there to experience him. They would come to you. Amen, Pastor Jimmy. That's a, good, that's a good word. You're right on that one. This is what we don't get. We don't see ourselves in light of this truth. That's what we need to do. We need to begin to realize that we are both the temple and the priest. That God's very presence dwells in us. If you've given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God lives in you. The same presence that was in the Holy of Holies is inside of you. And the task that we have as priests is to usher and tend to that presence and invite others to experience that presence. Now, how do we do that? Peter tells us at the end of verse 9, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's your job. You want to know what your purpose is in the world? 
It's that. After you've given your life to Christ, your job is to go around expressing what God has done for you to the rest of the world. Showing that truth to everybody else. Making these proclamations and declaring the praises of God that has called you out of darkness into light. That's your job. That's your story. That's your testimony. And when you do that, you are bringing people into the very presence of God. And that's what we need to begin to realize is that where we go, God is present and there. That's why God says, hey, what you do matters. How you live your life matters. What you put on display, how you act, how you speak, the words that come out of your mouth, all those things matter. Not because God wants us to follow a bunch of rules, but God's trying to say, you're representing me. And I need you to function and act in a certain way that respects and honors me and gives me glory and praise. And when you do that, I will reveal myself to the world around you through you. See, Adam and Eve and those that followed in their footsteps were to be seen as priests of God's temple. For the Hebrew mind, there would be no dualism. No division between the secular and the sacred. Because the world is the Lord's and everything upon it. So God's desire was that the world would be his temple. And that we would be his priests. And that all life, and if that's true, all life becomes spiritual. And every act of what we do becomes worship. I don't care what you do. Whether you're teaching, whether you're in a helping profession, or you're in a hospital doesn't matter whether you're at home with your kids, all life becomes spiritual. It's not that my job is spiritual and your job is something else. No, no, no. As kingdom of priests, everything that you do is tending to the holy. So there is no longer this is God and this is not God, but everything belongs to the Lord. And everything we do is it becomes an act of worship. That's why Paul says, man, everything that you do, do it with all you have. Because you're putting God on display in that way. But it begins with the way that we see ourselves. If we don't see ourselves as priests in the temple, then we will never be those things, even though we are. So we need to begin to shift our mindset. That's why Paul talks about in Romans 12, not only the sacrifice <clears throat> that we make as an act of worship, but also how we live our lives matters. That We lay our lives down for the Lord. We have to begin to see ourselves in that light because we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to practice this for just a couple minutes now. And uh, Bridget is going to come up and play. Um, ushers, if you would grab the cards, we're going to hand a card out to you. And we're going we're gonna to practice with this card, okay? So we're going to hand these out as, as quick as we can, ushers, and give one to everybody. And if we happen to not have enough this morning, we'll make more and we'll, we'll give it to you. But what I'm handing out right now is, is this card, and on this card is a verse, this is the First Peter 2.9 verse. And it's an image of the priesthood. And as you're receiving this card... The purpose of this card is this, 
I am now deputizing you all as priests. So you carry this around with you, you put it in your purse, you put it in your wallet, you put it in your phone, and may it be a reminder to you that you are a kingdom of priests. And everywhere you go, God is there. And if somebody needs prayed for, you can pray for them. Somebody needs the hands laid on for healing, you can do that. Why? Because you're the temple and you're the priests. So now, it's all official. Okay? It was before, but, you know, sometimes we need aids and helps to make this happen. So this is what we're going to do as, as we wrap up our time together. I want you to pray over somebody next to you this truth of who they are as a reminder. Because we need that reminder and we need to be blessed as people. So you're going to bless somebody next to you and you're going to pray 1 Peter 2.9 over them as a prayer. And then after you do that, that person's going to say, thank you very much. Now it's my turn to do it because I'm also a priest, by the way. Say, I can pray over you. I'm a priest. Great, I am too. I can pray over you. And you can go back and forth all day long if you want blessing each other. Okay, we'll leave the lights on and the building, building open. But do this. I want to invite you right now to stand up and find somebody in this room and pray this as a prayer over them, almost a proclamation of the truth of who they are. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.